Richardson. Trying to play it in at a battle with Howden. It's a good. Left by Hans with a chance. Taylor's down and it's left wide. Hands up high. He's going to the cross. John Pawlowski. And we're going back to Vegas. You know, we've said it before about Joe Pavelski, the old saying, too old, too slow, too good. Joe Pavelski in overtime, and there are signs of life, very much signs of life uh, from the Dallas Stars as they win in overtime yesterday. 3-2 was the final score. We will have a game five. And uh, yes, folks, you will have something to do on Saturday night, namely uh, watch hockey. It was looking scary there for a while, right? It was going to be how long in between games? Thankfully, we at least get one more game. We'll have some hockey to watch this weekend. Uh, that'll be Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, Game 5, Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars. So congratulations to the Dallas Stars for extending this thing and keeping our lives a little bit more interesting. Um, as much as the Vegas story is a fascinating one and a great one, um, it's nice to you know have a series here, right? Like even though and I've been making this point the last couple of days, and you know Elliot accused me of being Rod Brindamore on the podcast last night um, when I say this, the Florida Carolina series didn't feel like a sweep to me because it was four one goal games. It didn't feel like a sweep. There were games there. Um, normally, when there's a sweep, you see a blowout along the way, maybe two blowouts along the way that one although technically it was a sweep it didn't feel like one this one I mean you have Ottinger getting pulled in game three you have the whole team falling apart after Jamie Benn um, gets the five in a game against Mark Stone he still has one more game to serve that'll be Saturday for game five Um, but it was feeling like okay ho-hum we're hoping for a good series between these two teams it looks like we're not going to get it hopefully Dallas Stars can make even more of a series and you can be sure the Florida Panthers are feeling the exact same way and you can be sure that Sergei Bobrovsky who loves and needs and craves his rest in between starts is very much feeling the exact same way now I do say that with a little bit of hesitation because you know the longer <clears throat> the longer that Dallas Vegas series goes on Um, there is the chance because there's always a disagreement between how much is too much rest and at what point does rest start bleeding into rust. And the most obvious example of that was the 2007 Stanley Cup final when the Ottawa Senators, I mean, did it not feel like a month between, uh, between games from the conference final to the Stanley Cup final for the Ottawa Senators? And by the time they got to face off against the Anaheim Ducks, it looked like they had been at the Viper Club for about a week. Um... And it was all that rest, really, that really scotched what was one of the one of the best teams, honestly, one of the best teams to never win the Stanley Cup. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've had that conversation, right? I'm sure you've had that conversation, either you know, internal thoughts or conversations with uh, with pals or significant others um, about who are some of the best teams you ever seen that never won the Stanley Cup. Um, the Ottawa Senators of that era, for me, clearly one of those teams. There were a few of those San Jose Sharks teams that I think you can throw into that mix as well. But that Ottawa Senators team was right near the top of the list. I went down a path. I will come back now. Um, again, Jack Eichel outstanding last night. Uh, that song remains the same. Uh, William Carlson, very quietly, because we talk a lot about Eichel, that top line with Marcia So and, 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 uh, and, uh, and Barbashev. Uh, we've talked plenty about Aiden Hill. They've all been good. Alex Petrangelo, Nick Haig, everybody, Shea Theodore. But very quietly here, 
here's someone you look at you know the, the the defensive center the defensive forward able to shut down other teams top lines and contribute offensively as well William Carlson another excellent game by him and 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 did you not think because I I I mean I certainly did and I would wonder how many others did when William Carlson tucked in that gorgeous Riley Smith I don't want to call it a pass it was a shot pass that shot pass by Riley Smith did you not say to yourself uh oh here we go this looks like a continuation from game three but good on the Dallas Stars for battling back. Jason Robertson with a pair. So he ties it up, and then Jonathan Marcheseau makes it two to one. You just say to yourself, okay, we've seen Vegas do this. They're going to grab hold, and then it's Jason Robertson again. And this thing heads to extra chuckers, and now we're heading to a game five on Saturday. Lots to get to today, ladies and gentlemen, including what would the conversation be like if you put Mike Tyson, Rick Flair, and Ty Domi in a private box. Well, that happened last night. We'll start the show there. Welcome to the Merrick Show. Elliot's next. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. So a couple of things on today's program as we stand by for free. Daryl Sador is going to stop by. I know a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, maybe it was yesterday. Who knows about days these days when you're following the Stanley Cup playoffs. We were joking about the 1993 Stanley Cup final. Kelly Rudy, if you're listening, cover your ears. I'm sure you've heard about the 1993 Stanley Cup final too many times. Uh, and one of my favorite scenes and one of my favorite hockey pursuits is trying to find out where one puck is. There's one puck that holds a curiosity in my head and in my heart, and I don't know where it is. Maybe it's just gone to the ages. Maybe it's in a discard bin. Maybe it's, uh, it's disintegrated by now. Maybe who knows where this puck may be. Um, but in the dying moments at the Montreal Forum, Daryl Sedora coming around the Los Angeles net, swinging around Kelly Rudy, flips the puck up into the stands. Um, going to talk to Daryl Sedora about that, former NHL defenseman, former LA Kings defenseman, now co-owner of the Kamloops Blazers, who are hosting the uh, the Memorial Cup that gets underway today. So we'll talk about junior hockey, we'll talk about Daryl Sedora, and we'll talk about the missing puck. And I did check in, by the way, and I'll talk to Daryl about this, with, uh, with Mike Bolt at the Hockey Hall of Fame, who checked around. They don't have the puck either. As a matter of fact, nobody knows where the puck is. And it is the final game puck when a Canadian team last won the Stanley Cup. Anyhow, Devin Dubna coming up an hour or two as well from the NHL Network and former NHL goaltender. And we'll also get on the Toronto Maple Leafs page uh, to wrap up the show and wrap up the week with Luke Fox from Sportsnet. In the meantime, here he is live uh, and in color in your ears. He is Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Freed. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, bud? You know, I was listening to that well. story. I was listening to that story. Yes. And do you remember? And when Chicago won the Stanley Cup in 2010, yep. there was that big thing about where'd the puck go? And yep. nobody, it was... nobody knew. And I think that whole thing was because, like, you t- like in baseball, it was always a big deal. Like, where's the ball from the last out? And, you know, yeah. the, the the Blackhawks had a significant baseball presence in their front office. So to them, that was a big deal. In hockey, mm-hmm. no one really cared. So that was, that was, I think, part of the whole thing. Like, I remember there were big stories about where's the last puck, where's the last puck. And 
and people were saying quietly, we never cared about this before. <laughs> so they, they, well, nobody you thought know, it was that you, big you, a deal. You know what's interesting about that, though? Um, this comes on the heels of a, a quest for another famous puck, which a certain someone 72. denied having, and then and 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 video showed that he did have it, and that was Pat Stapleton, yeah. uh, 1972 at Luzhniki, the Paul Henderson goal, the the famous puck. Um, you know, always denied having it, and then video showed up of him fishing the puck out of the net, <laughs> and then he said, "Well, you know, I just fired it into a snowbank one day, and, and it's and it and it's lost forever." So the uh, the 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 uh, the case of vanishing pucks is one that is is well told, and I've, and I've always I've always wondered about that one, and it really is like honestly, Elliot. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video. Uh, I, it is one of my favorite things that I've ever seen at the close of a Stanley Cup. Daryl Sador, and I don't know if he did it deliberately, like no one's getting this puck. I'm so frustrated. Like remember when Chris Prong was collecting up pucks in 2010? We talked about that final puck with Patrick Kane. I mean, one of the stories that year was was Chris Pronger was, like, literally stealing pucks. He was taking them. Nope, my puck, I'm grabbing it. Nope, my puck, I'm grabbing it. So I don't know how we went down this road here, but, you know, I'm just sure that there have been a lot of really famous NHL and international hockey game pucks that have just been lost to the ages. Uh, I always check with, with people that I know at the Hall of Fame, do you have this puck, do you have that puck? And... Uh, as it relates to 1993 uh, at the Montreal Forum, the last puck when the last Canadian team won the Stanley Cup, Elliot, nobody knows where it is unless one person knows where it is. Let the hunt begin there. Well, you know what? First of all, when they call the when you call the Hockey Hall of Fame, do they answer your calls or they let it go straight to voicemail? That's my number one question. You know what? I, I, I usually either call Mike Bolt or Phil Pritchard. And I'm like, oh, he's just going to keep calling. We're just going to get it over with. I might as well just pick up. <laughs> you know, the, the other one I remember was uh, Ottawa-Tampa playoff series uh, when the Sanders beat them. Yep. I think it was 2006. Uh, Ray Emery, uh, I can't remember if he got a shutout or a win, but it was one or the other. And at the end of the game, it was early in the series. It wasn't the clincher, but it was early in the series. And Tim Taylor got the puck. And the next day, Tim Hmm. Taylor told people, uh, I threw it in the garbage. And I remember I went, I saw him at the practice. And I said the next day on the off day, I go, what did you do with that puck? And he goes, I threw it in the garbage. I didn't want him to have it. And then when Tampa beat Ottawa, um, uh, Ray, or, or sorry, when Ottawa beat Tampa, Ottawa knocked them out. In the uh, in the yeah. handshake line, Tim Taylor presented Emery with the puck, and he told him, yeah, "I hope you understand what I was doing here, but I would, you know, but I was always going to give it to you." And uh, and like um, I, I remember, Taylor took great pains to say that he wa- explain why he did what he did. And I remember I asked Emery about it after, and he said he. He kind of he he understood and he kind of laughed about it. He said it's the kind of thing that, like I would under I, I understood. So I kind of always remembered that story. I think all players would, and that's a that's a great one. And Tim Taylor is one of the all time great guys uh, of the game. Yeah. So none of that really surprises me at all. Okay, let me let me ask you uh, let me ask you a hypothetical here. What do you think a conversation between Mike Tyson, Ric Flair, and Ty Domi? <laughs> 
must sound like. Like, I always maintain, man, you know, at the end of the day, just stay alive because, you know, life will present some really interesting things to you. And last night, one of the sidebars to the game was in a private box, Ty Domi, Mike Tyson, and Ric Flair. You and I are the same vintage, so all these three people, there's a sweet spot at the bat for all of them uh, in our lives. I can only imagine what the conversation must have must have been like. Now, I've spoken to two of the three. I've never spoken uh, to Mike Tyson in my previous life covering wrestling. I spent, you know, at times a, a lot of time with and around Ric Flair, uh, Tidomi certainly with uh, the Maple Leafs, and then with his with his son uh, Max with the other Don Mills or London Knights and into the NHL, but never had a chance to talk to Tyson. Um, of those three, how many have you spoken to? Uh, all three of them. Uh, uh, Tyson was not a one-on-one; it was a group setting. Um, Domi obviously many yep. times, and <clears throat> Flair once. <laughs> excuse me, uh, Jeff. Flair once yeah. uh, after a wrestling card at the old Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh, it was it was. I mean, it's it's cool. Also, like that was hilarious last night. Like I was watching all the videos yes. coming out, and I, I just couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. Like this this is content gold. Like, but I'll tell you this: if it devolved yeah. into a fight. I'm taking Tyson. Oof. I'm taking Tyson all day yes. long. No disrespect to Ty Domi. No disrespect to, to Ric Flair. Uh, I don't think you're getting the figure four on anyone in a, uh, in, a, in, a in a street fight, and I don't think you're going to be able to grab a Mike Tyson's shirt and, and fill him in. So I'll, I'll take Tyson in that fight uh, all day long. But that was that was a spectacular visual. I, I, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm and sure by the way, in between the middle of all that, Jeff, they solved the Middle East and things like that, in, in, you know, in, in between <laughs> beers was, and whatever this, else they were doing. Yes, they 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 settled the debt limit. They're presenting to both uh, the Republicans <laughs> and Democrats right. later on today. It 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 gives me a it gives me a chance to 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 plug something really quickly. There's a there's a writer. He's excellent. His name is Tim Hornbaker. Um, he wrote a great book on Shoeless Joe called Fall from Grace. He wrote mm-hmm. another book on wrestling territories called Death of the Territories. He has a new book. Mm. Um, called the best, the last real world champion. It's all. It's a historical look at the career of Ric Flair. So I don't think that it's you know the sensational, over the top, you know, road stories and stuff like that. It's more from a historical point of view. This one wow. looks like a fantastic read. Tim Hornbaker, great writer, and I'm, yeah, no, it it, it looks fantastic. Um, okay. So to last night's game, and we played the Joe Pavelski, a great call by John Bartlett, uh, played the Joe Pavelski uh, overtime winner, and I used the line that we always use about Joe Pavelski, too old, too slow, too good. Uh, any shocker that at the, at the end of the night, it was Joe Pavelski. Oh, by the way, so I got a note. This is really interesting. So I got a note this morning from a coach. Hang on, let me just grab this here. Give me two seconds. Oh, here we go. So I got I got a I got a note from a coach who sent along that clip of the Joe Pavelski overtime winner. It's a power play goal, and he writes about. It. He said, "Here's something for for young kids. Young kids should watch this goal." And I sent back, you know, w- you know what, what's so special about this one? He said, "Always remember possession before position." He said, and this is for you know hockey parents and, and hockey kids. He said, "So many times on a power play." Kids will rush to get into into position before they have possession of the puck, and the puck ends up getting iced. If you look at what Dallas does, they flood the puck, and no one's in position. They only get in position 
once they have possession. So it's a thing that I always drill in to all of my teams, possession before position. And if you watch that, I mean, it's Peter DeBoer, right? Um, it is it is very much possession before position. They get the puck, and then they get in position, and then it's tic-tac-toe, Pavelski sends us off to Saturday night. Your thoughts on that final goal? I think also, too, like you look at all the great plays that were made. Jason Robertson won a puck battle on the boards. You know, Vegas, if he doesn't yep. win that battle, Vegas gets it out. But Robertson wins the battle. Hintz doesn't score, but instead of, like, angrily or emotionally or with the – just the the energy of the situation, instead of ripping it like into Nowheresville, he keeps his head and makes a good pass. Haskinen makes a great pass, and Pavelski scores. Like I think that was the thing that really stood about that play is that it involved a lot of people, like Robertson, Robertson winning a battle, Hintz keeping his wits about him, Haskinen making a great pass goal. Like That's what really stood out for me. Like A lot of people on that play made great plays. That was a good game last night. Like, uh, that was one, like, this round has been tough. You know, we had an incredible first round. We had a really good second round. And this round hasn't been great. Um, but, we've, you know, that was a good game. And we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow night. Like, I'm watching what's happening in the NBA. And the Celtics were down 3 nothing, And now they've got it to, uh, to game six. You know, yeah. the, the, the excitement builds. And I want those Eastern Conference teams weaken themselves so Jamal Murray can kill them. So... I'm good with this NBA Eastern <laughs> final. How much of last night, by the way, was about Jake Ottinger for you? Uh, it, like, it, you know, you look at the way that game started. If you look at the puck drop, they fired in on him from the Golden Knights blue line. And, he, you know, he didn't handle it very well. Like, he froze it. He looked a little bit unsure. And then they score. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, boy, like, this is going to be a bad night. It's going to be a bad night for Ottinger. It's going to be a bad night for Dallas. And you're thinking, oh, boy, are we going to see Wedgwood again? And I thought about five minutes in, they have that exchange mistake behind the net, Ottinger and the Stars defenseman, and Mark Stone ends up with a great chance, and Ottinger makes a huge save. And I thought that was the moment that the game turned. Like, the audience got into it, the crowd. The Stars kind of found their legs after that. And Ottinger got better. Like, to me, it, like if, if Dallas pulls off the miracle here, that's the moment. Even more than the Pavelski goal, it's that save. Because if it goes in, it's 2 nothing yeah. Vegas six minutes in, and it's a blowout. Yeah, and it's, it's a different game. Now, there's an old saying, all goal, sco- all goal scorers are streaky goal scorers. Um, yep. If you believe that's true, and I tend to believe that that's true, um, was there any reason to be concerned about Jason Robertson to start the playoffs? Or was it just a matter of time? Like a guy that good was going to start finding the back of the nets. Did you have, as you look back now, legit concerns? Or do you say to yourself, listen, elite goal scorers, even any kind of goal scorer, they're streaky scorers. They're going to come around and get their, get their goals. You know what I think, uh, you know what I think, Jeff, is uh, I was worried for Robertson because of the way he looked. And he looked down, he looked defeated, um, he was making other plays around the ice that looked poor. Uh, like, like, to me, like his inability to score was sapping his confidence out of the rest of his game. And that's what I was worried about. Like, even on the first Vegas goal last night, 
think it was the first one, he kind of gets pushed into Ottinger and Vegas scores, right? So you're looking at that and you're saying, uh-oh. But, you know, he kept with it. You know, there's going to be moments in games that go badly. That happens to everybody. I think the difference between him now and him earlier is that in moments where it was going poorly, he's battling. Like, he's getting through it. And, and, and because he's seen some results with scoring and offense, I thought before in the playoffs it was, it was really grinding him down, and that was the concern for me. You know, one of the um, – this is sort of a pullback, pan-out kind of question here, Elliot. Normally by the time mm-hmm. the third round rolls, rolls in, we start to see the hockey slow down. I mean, the first round is always house on fire, house on fire, house on fire. Uh, second round is similar but not quite the same. But then usually when we get to the third round, uh, the grind of the playoffs really starts to set in. And then by the time you get to the Stanley Cup final, certainly there's some adrenaline you're going on because here, wow, look, we're, we're so close to this thing. But your body just says, hey, man, your mind might want to do one thing. But I'm your body here, and I can't do what your mind wants. Uh, you know, wants to do. Are, I don't know that I see that in the third round this year. Have you seen sign? I mean, there's always mental fatigue, but are you seeing any signs of physical fatigue? Like, did you see it from Carolina? Did you see it from Florida? Are you seeing it from Vegas? Have you seen it from Dallas? Because I don't know that I see that for each. I thought I saw it. Like, Game Three from Dallas was such a mess that I thought everything was bad. And uh, I, I think with physical, with like the mistakes they made in game three, there was a lot of mental fatigue, but I think there's physical fatigue too. But Florida, no. Carolina, no. Like I thought Carolina battled every step of the way. So I, did, I definitely did not see that with them. But I, I did think that in, in Dallas in game three. Like I know they outshot uh, the Golden Knights in game three, but I just felt Vegas completely controlled that game. And they were never threatened, never. And um, you know, like that was, uh, that was, you know, I, I I didn't like that for a lot of different reasons. But I really thought I was really impressed with Dallas last night. Like I said, like that could have been an eight nothing game with stolen scores, but they battled and they they won in overtime. And uh, you know, like uh, I, like Dallas had a lot of excuses to lose last night, giving up the first goal, the bench. Expansion, Ottinger struggling. Yeah. Um, they really found a way. So I would say, aside from Game Three, Jeff, I would completely agree with you. You know, you mentioned Carolina there a second ago, and uh, we're seeing you know player interviews today close out uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. And you know, w- one thing has already sprung to mind, and that is uh, Jordan Stahl. You know, we talked about this the last couple of days that, you know, Jordan Stahl has to be one of the first orders of business for Don Waddell. And Stahl essentially said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have the quote in front of me, uh, I'm not interested in going anywhere. We're going to get a deal done here. Yes, and to be honest, I think that's what a lot of us kind of thought during the season. So it's not any different than what the intel was. So I'm not surprised. Um, I, I think that there's... Like, a couple of people told me that because I was chasing some things the last few days. Like, are, are you talking to this person? Are you talking with that team? And a lot of people seem to indicate to me that they're kind of just waiting to see what the final cap number is going to be here. Now, I think some teams will have good enough mm-hmm. cap situations that they can do what they need to do. But I know some teams are, are, are kind of waiting to say, okay, are we going to be 83-5 or is there going to be a little bit more breathing room? So, I uh, 
I, I'm just wondering how much of this gets announced or do they wait until they get a final number, which might be closer to the end of June? Um, one of the players that I was curious about and uh, this morning he said he's going to have to you know, take a couple of weeks and talk to his family and think about whether he wants to, uh, to come back and, and play in the NHL is Paul Stastny. Now, I, I love Paul Stastny. Uh, on the yep. ice, such a solid, smart, great hockey player off the ice. Is the, he's, he's one of your go-to guys. Like when you work in that, when any market that Stastny's in, he's, he's one of the guys you go to at the, at the, at the end of games. Um, do you have a thought here on, on Stastny? And uh, does he, I mean, we don't know if he's going to come back, but just a thought on, on where you see Stastny at right now in the NHL. Like, I don't know. We talk so much about second-generation players, and you know my love of, you know, Peter Stastny and how, how it's such a high regard I hold him in. I think you're the same way as well. I don't know that we've talked enough about, you know, this wonderful second-generation player, Paul, uh, whose father is part of hockey royalty. Do you have a thought on Paul Stastny? Well, I, I just, I've loved dealing with him over the years. I think he's really, we did a, a pod with him that dropped last week. He was such a good talker. Yeah. I think he's a really insightful guy. Um, I, I think he's just a really smart, insightful person. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that he's, I've always liked dealing with him. I, I, you know, he's obviously made a hell of a career. How long has he been around now? It's, it's, it's like 15 years, right? Like you don't you don't make it in the NHL. Yeah, you don't make it in the NHL without A being a talented player who can adapt and B a player that teams are happy to have. Like I like I, I remember um, when I first broke in covering sports, covering basketball, Brendan Malone who was the first coach of the Raptors, he'd always talk about your most important, the most important players you have to get along with. And obviously the basketball team's 12 players and the hockey team's 23. But he would talk about, you know, your, your four best players and your four least used players. And I, I would say, okay, mm-hmm. why? And he'd say, because if your best players and your least used players all buy into what you're selling, then everybody in the middle buys in too. But if, you, if your best players or your least used players don't buy in, you've got big problems because then the people in the middle have reason not to buy in. So I always think about yeah. who do players bring in Jeff to play that, like that that 15th through 18th role on a roster, and and how a coach is not going to bring in a guy, a veteran who's 37 years old, unless they think he's going to be a positive influence. And I think that says a lot about who yeah. Paul Stasny is. Don't disagree. A um, couple of minutes left here. Uh, weekend on the horizon. Uh, listen, we're wondering about Pittsburgh. We're wondering about Dubas. Dubas watch. I think we're uh, the Dubas watch continues. Like you know, my thoughts. We were talking about this on the podcast. I I think he's waiting to see what happens uh, with the Ottawa Senators and and who shakes loose here and and who ends up owning this thing and is there a spot for him. Uh, when that happens, but we'll see. Do, do you have any anything new on uh, on any of the bids, uh, the process, winding down? Uh, is it going to make it to the governor's meeting uh, later in June, or is it going to go past the governor's meeting? Do you have a, a thought on what's happening with Ottawa right now? Well, first of all, I think that these need graphics, like Dubas Watch and Sens Ownership Watch. We need special <laughs> TV graphics and music for this. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, first of all, with Ottawa, uh, I had heard some rumors last night that uh, 
like someone had stepped to the forefront. Um, but obviously there's no confirmation. I got one denial on that and a lot of other silence. <laughs> and obviously, mm-hmm. as of today, there's no announcement. And this is a long weekend in the United States, Memorial Day. So, yep. you know, unless we're, get, unless we're getting the world famous five o'clock before a long weekend news dump, um, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I don't know. But like I said, I, I, like, I, there was definitely some traction on last night that one group had kind of quote unquote won, but I have no confirmation. So I'm. I'm not going to say that, but I think there's one group that at least made significant movement last night. So we'll see. Um, uh, You know, Jeff, one of the things I think that's definitely being discussed here is when you make these bids, how much of them is equity and how much is debt? And I think that's kind of one of the things they've been finagling through. Um, But, you know, we wait. Now, the whole Dubas Ottawa thing, (laughs) like, I'm not sure. I, I think that there are some bids here that have connections, hockey connections to them already, and there are some that don't. Yep. So um, I, I, I'm waiting to see how that shakes down. Um, when it comes to Dubas and Pittsburgh, um, look, I think that process is obviously very far along. Um, I think that they are, as I said on the pod today, I think that they are prepared to give him through the weekend. The owners of Fenway Sports Group are overseas at the F1 race. So I think that that also mm. may tie into it. Um, you know, I think all of that. So I, I, I wouldn't expect anything to be announced today. We'll see if it happens. I think it'll be next week. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, so we're kind of waiting to see this. Um, look, I, obviously he's been there. He's taking a long look at it. And I think they're prepared to let it play out through the weekend. And, if it's not Dubis, I, me- I mentioned Matthew Darsh on the pod today. I had some people yep. uh, mention to call me this morning after the pod drop and said, don't discount Steve Greeley and all this. So, like, if it's not Dubis, like, those two people, I think, are still in the picture. Uh, r- real quick, um, it was exactly one week ago where Brendan Shanahan dropped the bomb and you know, d- dismissed general manager Kyle Dubas. And th- since then, we've had uh, a lot of questions. Uh, we've had a lot of smoke, uh, a lot of bluster, a lot of speculation. Let me see if I can try to crystallize something here for you in, 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 a, in, a, in a question. In the one week since this has happened, what's the mm-hmm. one thing or what are some of the things that you are 100% certain of? at this point from because everyone's got a theory there's so much speculation is there anything that you can say definitively that you are 100 percent sure of uh that my name is elliot friedman and some days i really doubt that uh you know i I wrote i wrote about it this week and i think that blog is, is 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 my true feelings about it um you know i i think Look, I, I think this. I think that Toronto Police thought Kyle Dubas was going to be their GM next year. And that fell apart in a five-day span. And I think that uh, everybody is kind of scrambling the fallout from there. I, True Living was interviewed this week. I think there's going to be more. Um, 
You know, I think one of the things that's happened here, um, like uh, like I read Jonas Siegel's piece in The Athletic yesterday, and I think Jonas yep. is a really good reporter. I'm I'm a big fan of Jonas's work. I think now that – I think one thing that I think MLSE is kind of thinking is, are they going to have to clear out everybody from the department? And is is that going to be – like, do they look at it and say that some of these people aren't going to be able to function under a different leader? And I would say after that story yesterday, I'm sure that that's a conversation that MLSE is having. Like, I think the cha- like, are... I think they kind of thought, uh, yeah. Jeff, I think they kind of thought that, you know, Dubas would be out, and, and if he went somewhere else, maybe he'd, maybe he'd ask to take one or two people with him. But other than that, it's going to stay a lot the same. I, I think now that, actually, so I know now that I think one of the topics that's being considered is, are they going to have to clear it all out? Plenty of uh, Dubas loyalists still very much in that Toronto Maple Leafs organization. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you, and, and I agree. That was an excellent piece uh, by Jonas. And I still remember when he was a little cub reporter on 640 on the Leafs lunch uh, covering the Maple Leafs, and he's turned himself into a, to a real heavyweight writer. Um, yep. All right, uh, you are released. Enjoy a day off, whatever a day off looks like for Elliot Friedman, and uh, we'll watch for you again tomorrow on Hockey Night, Game 5. Matt. Max and I are going to hit golf balls. I, if you saw the Pavelski piece, I need some work on my technique. <laughs> Give him some tips, Max. Teach him. <laughs> Give him some tips, Max. Dad needs Dad needs the help. Uh, enjoy golfing with your son, Elliot. You'll be good. All right. Take care, Jeff. Speak to you later. There he is. Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts Hockey Night in Canada.